0: back i'm kevin ellis on vermont viewpoint we're reviewing the week's news let's head to washington in our weekly chat with former congressman and political analyst bob nay hello bob welcome to the show hey hello kevin how are you good morning so we're talking about uh buffer zones and a peace deal possible in israel and with israel and Hamas. but uh, i think bigger in the news is joe biden Uh, going to Michigan to give a speech and has to take side streets to avoid demonstrators who are calling him names like Genocide Joe. Tell us what's going on. Well, there's two trips uh, that he's making. One, uh, as you just mentioned, was to Michigan, and they are chanting Genocide Joe has to go. And these are... um, not just arab americans they're um you know americans who are not of arab background also but they are supporting um, some type of situation with the palestinians now i don't think that means they're supporting hamas but they're supporting palestinians that some people want to correlate those two they will but uh, a lot of people are you know wanting to see a ceasefire now congressman kildee uh who's from michigan uh has mentioned to the president that the congressman himself, Kildee, is Democrat. He's for a ceasefire. But I think that the problem the president has, not only having to go on the side streets uh because of the protesters, but the fact that he went there and uh his they had they tried to have his campaign manager, they tried to have her meet with Arab Americans, probably, you know, He should have met with them, but then again, if he did, it puts him into a pressure point. So he went to Michigan, and he didn't meet with uh, the Arab or the Muslim groups, and so as a result, of course, they're going to be more infuriated. And I mentioned the second meeting to uh, East Palestine, which is in Ohio, not too, too far from my home, and uh, that's a year after the anniversary of the railroad derailing, And he's getting uh, quite a resistance for going there a year later. So these are two trips I don't think are going to, Kevin, be in the checklist of the best trips for the president in the next uh, seven days here. Bob, um, I'm really noticing, I'm reading polls and articles, that young people – uh, are are deserting the president and saying they'll never vote for him because of his support for Israel in the war uh and you know old timers like us say oh no they'll come back uh when when it comes election time but but the, a lot of people are saying we're never coming back to Joe Biden and in a place like Michigan that could be a real problem can you explain that Mm-hmm. Yes, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And I'm I'm with you uh, when this when these statements began. And, of course, at that time, too, 60 some percent of the people supported, you know, um, supporting Israel no matter what. That has dropped, by the way, to 50 percent now. Fifty percent of all American adults feel Israel has gone too far. I kind of knew that was going to happen because of um netanyahu's approach to everything and then of course the world court now i did and i'm just like you i you know old politics i said hey uh they won't vote for trump or they'll come back to biden but after personal conversations with people and some of whom um our young Democrats who I met at the Democrat National Convention in 2016. And I followed their Instagram pages, which is what you have to do these days with old people like me. And, um, and they are making a point, and I believe them, that they are just not going to vote. And they're going to teach, quote, Biden a lesson that he's taken them for granted. And then, you know, if Trump gets in, they figure he's only, you know, He's got four years and um they'll be done with him and maybe more Democrats will win after Trump serves four years. So this time I'm uh I'm not gonna go back to what I've always believed, which is they'll come home. I think they're pretty well gone for right now. Well that is a that is that's gotta be that's gotta have the White House on pins and needles. Bob, we've also got a long-delayed bipartisan border security and foreign aid package that seems to, uh, at least Senate leaders, seem to think they've got a deal. But the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and former President Donald Trump from the outside uh, are major players in this. Tell us about that. The This was an issue that I was deeply involved with for 11 years that I was in Congress, Kevin. It's And I must say, after all of this time, which was years back, I was there. But since I was there up to now, this is probably the best time to get a deal that I've seen in 30 years. And one of the reasons, of course, is President Biden is basically waking up to the fact after three years that there's a problem. Now, he says he's always known there's a problem, but they sure have not indicated that. Verbally or with their with their actions as an administration, so that brings the White House in to be pretty pliable to do things they wouldn't have normally done with an immigration border bill um, but the House, as you said, has proclaimed it dead, which is a problem, and they're saying, well, you know. They don't trust uh, Biden to carry out the bill if they pass it. And we all know Trump doesn't want the bill because he's got an issue with Biden, You know, which is not good public policy to come out and say, well, it helps the president in the election. I'm not sure how much it really honestly would do for the president because he's so late on the draw. Having said that, though, I would be shocked if the Senate, no matter what the House says, doesn't proceed with getting a bill. And attaching Ukraine and Israel to that bill, Kevin, I think it's almost incumbent upon the Senate since they have forged ahead with Langford. He's a Republican senator, and Murphy. He's a Democrat senator, and I think uh, they have forged ahead and went through so much. They've got to continue with it, no matter what the House says. So, I think there's a possibility there still will be a bill. Doesn't mean the House will latch onto it because the progressives don't want it, but I think there's a chance there's a bill in the Senate, which, frankly, for public policy, even if the House doesn't pass, it, it's still a good thing to do to get at least that far in one chamber. Uh, Bob, presidential politics, I see that Nikki Haley, uh, the the last opponent for uh, Donald Trump, uh, has now on January 26th called him totally unhinged. Uh, so she is ramping up the uh, rhetoric saying he's, he's unelectable, uh, even though polls show that Trump leads Biden in some in some ways, in some polls. And it's entirely possible that uh, Trump could be a convicted felon by the time of the election. Where are we? <laughs> well, we are in, Kevin, the weirdest political <laughs> situation I've seen. Uh, since I've been 18 years old. And uh, I'm 69 years old. So this is the strangest thing that I've seen in a long time, all the dynamics of this, the unknowns, you know, within the next uh, so many months, how they're going to uncover. But I think Nikki Haley probably has to continue what she's doing, which is to take the gloves off, because Trump has taken the gloves off on her, and she's got to do it. And I believe Haley will stay in this as long as the money is still backing her from some of the contributors she has, because, you know, like anything, no one knows what exactly is going to happen with Trump and what exactly is going to happen with Biden. And um, he's just maybe hedging a bet by hanging in there. But if she gets out and then something happens and Trump doesn't run. Then the process starts all over. If she hangs in there and something happens, she's the nominee. I got to believe, Bob, that that if Trump is uh, convicted of some of these crimes, whether it be the January 6th insurrection, the national security documents, et cetera, uh, that some swing voters are just not going to be able to uh, vote for someone who's been uh, convicted of federal crime. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. It does, because right now Trump is fairly toxic with, um, uh, you know, he's toxic with independents. The president is toxic with some groups that he shouldn't be, or if not toxic, he's declining definitely with Latinos and Asians, and you know, even with the African American community. We're, we're yet to see what. Carolina will do, you know. For the president, will there be a turnout? So, each in their own way uh, have all these flaws, and of course, because of Israel and the Hamas war, Biden's got a, a secondary problem too that Trump doesn't have in particular. So, when you look at all of this, then you have to go back towards Trump and the fact if he is convicted, he probably would lose enough percentage that it would make it a almost a flip the coin race, which if his numbers begin to tank over that, if that happens, and that's why I said you never know what's going to happen these days with this, this is the most unique time I've ever seen, but if it did happen and his numbers begin to tank, it is possible that Trump will not continue to run. It's very possible because the one thing he won't want is uh, a, you know, a, a, a defeat of particular, I would think. So... Uh, it's yet to be seen, but it's not going to be helpful to him if he does have a conviction. Now, if he doesn't have a conviction before the election, then I think the polls, as they are, stay about the same. Okay. Well, as always, we're grateful for your expertise, Bob Nay. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you, Thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks. Okay. That's Bob Nay. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Seven Days in Music Editor Chris Farnsworth to talk about. Uh, Noah Kahn and where did he come from we'll be back I'm Kevin Ellis it's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV we're back it's Vermont Viewpoint I'm Kevin Ellis and we welcome uh, the music editor for seven days Chris Farnsworth to the show to talk about everyone's favorite new artist Noah Kahn Chris welcome to the show hey how's it going so full disclosure, uh, I lived in Stratford for 10 years and watched Noah Kahn as a tiny little boy uh, walking up in, uh, to Coburn's store to get a candy bar. And uh, I know his parents, so this story is both familiar and a lot of fun for me. Uh, Noah oh, wow. Kahn nominated nominated for a Grammy Award, and you've got a story about it in this week's seven days. Tell us. Yeah, yeah he's putting Stratford on the map, it looks like. It's uh it's pretty crazy. It's uh it's been a, a, a crazy couple years for Noah, you know, who uh um, you know signed a deal in 2017, left left Stratford and Hanover and headed out west and um, just come all the way to so he's nominated for best new artist Grammy this week coming up. It's it's been a real meteoric rise for him. You write that uh, his dad uh, taught him how to play guitar, and uh, we, as I said, we we were sort of neighbors with his dad and mom. Um, they, they moved to Hanover. He went to Hanover high school, but this is a guy who uh, skipped college and he had a recording contract, as you write, I believe at 17 years old, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He was set to head for Tulane. lane, uh, you know, had, had some friends doing the same thing and um, just kind of decided to take a bet on himself and, and pursue music, which, you know, isn't the safest bet of a career choice sometimes, and uh, he just went for it. Um, and you know, yeah, you have to bet in music. You have to sort of bet on yourself and your skills. And Noah did that, and it you know went out there and 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 did something that's really hard to do these days. He cut through all the clutter, put his music online, and and caught the right attention, and uh, headed out west and 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 started making albums and and really just kind of. Almost all of Vermont sort of missed the ascension because of it. He just, you know, he he was so young when he left, and and sort of, you know, it's kind of the equivalent of like when someone goes to the NBA when they're in high school. You know, you don't hear about him in college. So the whole Vermont music scene, you know, really had no clue about Noah, and um, just started hearing these dispatches coming back from out west about this kid from Vermont doing well, and we're all like, who is this guy? And um, boy, once he came back, he really he really came back with a with a bang. And he had a he had a, a, a music deal in Nashville, but as as you write and we've and many others have as well, uh, he didn't. There was something wrong for him, and COVID hits, and he you know the, the the sort of the PR narrative is that you know he comes back to Stratford and writes this this now famous album Stick Season, but um, you know it's not. It's not a straight line obviously. These are, you know, the music business is crazy, but I mm-hmm. take us through that that process of uh getting dissatisfied with Nashville and coming home. Yeah, you know, it's it really is interesting. I talked to Noah the for the first time about a year and a half ago and and he was we almost spoke exclusively about this subject. Um and you know, he, what what Noah did really was he he found his way into pop music, you know, with his early stuff. He kind of became, uh, you know, sort of like a part of the machine of songwriting. He worked with a lot of other songwriters, uh, co-wrote a lot of pop songs for other artists and really just kind of became, you know, a working man songwriter in a lot of ways out there, um, which is a cool thing and, and can be a very successful thing, particularly in pop music. But I think for Noah, it never felt real. It never felt who, like who he was. Uh, and I think, you know, he, he came back the first time, the, the first time kind of COVID sent him, uh, back, back home and he made this great little EP called Cape Elizabeth. And that was his first chance to really try out, Hey, I want to be a folk singer, kind of, you know, folk indie pop sort of thing, get away from uh, the sounds that he didn't feel were, at, were authentic to him. Um, and I think he, that really kind of got him excited for this idea. Uh, he made one more pop record after that. I was, I am a uh, good record, but he really, he clearly didn't feel it was very authentic. Did a couple interviews where he even said so. And, um, and I think he just kind of really got more and more. He wanted to sound like this, this music he heard in his head, the music he grew up with, which was Mumford and Sons, the Lumineers, uh, Paul Simon, this kind of stuff. And, uh, just really, he wanted to go back to that. And I think, you know, that for all the negative things that that happened during the pandemic for him, the silver lining was getting out of, out of these other scenes in New York and coming back, you know, in this, in this old farmhouse he grew up in and, and writing these songs that felt a lot more intrinsic to who he was. And it was a gamble. It was a gamble. His record company was not really on board. He was kind of worried about it. Like, I mean, it wasn't like one of these things you hear about in the eighties where they're like, we're going to toss you if you put this out, but they were skeptical. They were like, you've had success writing these pop songs. Why do you want to do this? And he bet on himself, wrote the songs, put them out. And, and it really has worked out for him. Yeah. It worked out in, in <laughs> he's playing Red Rocks. He's playing radio city Music Hall. He's playing Madison square garden. Um, Yeah. Wh- what's it like, to get nominated for a Grammy as Best New Artist. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's a really fascinating thing because, I mean, uh, I mean, just getting nominated for a Grammy is a huge bump as an artist no matter what. You, you see sales bumps, you see streaming bumps, you see ticket sales bumps. It's, You know, you become a water cooler discussion, whereas before, just people who listen to your genre might talk about you. So it's, it's a huge bump just in general being nominated for a Grammy. Um, the Best New Artist Grammy is perhaps the most interesting Grammy because for a long time it was considered a cursed Grammy. You know, you had people like Millie Vanilli winning it and having to give it back a few years later. So for a while there, the Best New Artist Grammy often went to someone you didn't hear about much longer. Um, that has changed in recent years. The Grammys have kind of tried to hip it up a little bit, and had a, the winners of late have been people who've stuck around and done really well. So hopefully that's the case if Noah wins. Um, he's in a position, though, where the Grammy bump is really going to be kind of a minuscule effect for him because he's kind of experiencing a giant bump all of his own doing right now. You know, he's selling out shows in Australia, you know, while we speak. Uh, He's touring the world. He's got number one album in the UK. So the Grammys, I think for him, maybe offer like a, you know, some validation and certainly a little bit of a bump, but his star is kind of on the way up one way or the other, you know? And, and, And as we now know, he's been dealing with mental health issues all his life. Um, this kind of fame, whether it's Noah Kahn, Taylor Swift, or whomever, can have a uh, not 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 always a positive impact on people. He's very open on Twitter, uh, where I follow him, about you know how crazy this all is, and suddenly he's surrounded by lawyers and more agents and PR people and publicists, etc., record executives. It's got to be difficult, and he's got to surround himself with quality people who he can trust. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, you know, it's he's really been so open and honest, kind of about not only like you know the mental health issues that can come from being uh, a touring, gigging musician, which is just not an easy profession. For all the you know the cool sides of it, it's 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 difficult. You're on the road; you don't really feel like you're at home. And this is not a, a business where you typically pull a lot of money at first. So it's just tough all around. But he's kind of had a, you know, as he wrote in Time Magazine, he did an op-ed, he's kind of struggled with this this aspect his whole life. And it, what it really seems like he's doing, he's write, he's talking about it in the songwriting. He's He's communicating with his fans about it in this way that hopefully makes them feel seen, but also makes them understand, like, these struggles are common in people and we all have to deal with them. Um, and I think for him, as far as like taking care of himself, making sure he's okay in this sense, I got a really good sense from uh Dr. First over at UVM, uh, UVM med children's hospital. He met him when Noah went there to play for the kids back in December. And he really got the sense of a guy who's taking care of those things. He he does have the right people around him who are making sure he's not overextending himself. And he is adhering to those needs. And I think he's very conscious of those things too. I mean, one of the reasons we weren't able to talk to him right before this story is he had to say like, look, I just did X amount of interviews and all this press. And now I'm going on this huge world tour. I kind of need to take a minute to, to catch my breath sort of. And that's a really healthy thing for an artist to do. And it's, it's, it's especially if you know you're struggling with things like anxiety depression, depersonalization, all of these things that Noah, it does struggle with. You just have to take those time. You have to take the time to make sure you're taking care of yourself on the road. And I think he does that. And I think he puts a lot of those things into his music, which is a really good resource. You know, songwriting is an excellent resource for catharsis and emotional things. Uh, Marcy Hernandez, a certified music therapist I talked to for this story, spoke specifically about that, about how healthy it is to talk about these things in your music because it's a safe way of dealing with it. It's a safe way of saying, I'm not okay. I might need help. And his fans really connect with that. Uh, Yeah. You end. And in the 30 seconds we have left, you end with your story with him uh, playing uh, songs for each, each child in, 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 uh, for in the children's hospital unit after all the TV cameras had gone and that's mm-hmm. when he felt more comfortable, yeah, you know, I think that was really you know he did really well, considering it's a strange thing you're walking into a room packed full of nurses and doctors and administrators, and there's like phones at you, and you've got all these kids who you know they they're not you know they're like seven eight years, old. a lot of them didn't know who he was, so he was kind of in a strange position, and I think honestly the minute. And he did well, but I think the minute those things were gone, he, he, it seemed like he was a lot more comfortable and felt like he could communicate right to these kids who, you know, were going through a tough time. And I think, I think it really spoke to him and, and how empathetic he felt and how great he felt to play it. So it worked out. I think it was a beautiful thing that really let him show his true side. Chris Farnsworth, seven days. Great story. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. We'll be back. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back. And for the next half an hour, we are going to open the phone and talk to you about the news. Uh, We continue our week in review. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's the number to call is 244-1777. That was fun, talking about Noah Kahn. Remember him in Stratford as a little kid. uh, And... uh, he and his family moved uh, out of town to Hanover uh, for a while, so he went to high school at Hanover High School. And uh, But like all kids in that great little town of Stratford, the, the daily visit to Coburn's General Store uh, to use the free uh, landline phone to call your mom and dad or to get picked up or uh, score some candy and stick it on your parents' Uh, uh bill uh my children's favorite was ice cream sandwiches uh and by the way Coburn's store is for sale melvin and sue coburn who've owned it, for, owned, it owned it for a thousand years decide have decided it's time to retire the kids don't want to uh, uh uh take it over although uh the daughter chrissy still works there hello chrissy shout out to chrissy and melvin and sue if you're listening uh so There's a community group in town that uh, has assembled to try to uh, raise some money and uh, to buy the store and make it community-owned. And I think uh, they're getting some help from the Preservation Trust of Vermont, uh, which cares deeply about our country stores. Uh, There is a model. The community up in uh, East Callis bought the East Callis store and renovated it. And they put a couple of apartments upstairs and they're running the store and, uh, there's fresh new energy there. So I think, um, I think if any place can, uh, rev- you know, can keep that general store going in a healthy way, I think it's the people from Stratford, but, uh, gosh, so nice to see someone like Noah Kahn, uh, who nominated for a Grammy and he's filling stadiums and, uh, he's talking about mental health and that's, uh, that's always a positive. So uh, hats off to Noah Khan. Thanks to Chris Farnsworth. You can read his story uh, about Noah Khan in this, this week's seven days. Uh, on to national news. Uh, fascinating. The U.S. economy created more than 350,000 jobs. This and while the unemployment rate stayed at 3.7 percent pretty low. That is a, as Jill Schlesinger from CBS News said, that uh, that is more than double the amount of jobs that analysts were expecting. And that feeds into my fascination with this this dynamic that's going on in the presidential campaign. No matter what goes right for Joe Biden, it just seems that he cannot, I mean, in the old days, you would think that this kind of economic news would be boosting the president and that the negative news about former president Donald Trump being in court all the time, an $83 million judgment against him uh, in civil court that he has to pay for uh, being, I'm not going to use the word convicted because that's not what happened. It wasn't a criminal case. It was a civil case. And the judge ruled that he did, in fact, sexually assault a writer named Eugene Jean Carroll. Uh, and now the jury came back and said he has to pay her $83 million. So that kind of negative news uh, and that kind of positive economic news for President Biden, you would think this race would be over. And that is not the case. And I'm fascinated uh, about why that is. And I'd love to hear your calls about it two four four one seven seven seven. Some polls have Biden barely in front of, of Trump. Others have Trump in front of Biden. And, you know, then the president goes to goes to Michigan uh where he gets the UAW union union endorsement and does not meet with uh the large community of Arab Americans uh and Palestinian Americans who live in in places like in places like Michigan, and I and as I said with Bob Ney, his motorcade took side streets to get to the venue uh, for his speech uh, in order to avoid protesters. Uh, that seems crazy, and I guess all I can say and and I talk to young people under the age of twenty, all uh, under the age of thirty, all the time who do not share the older generation's allegiance to Israel politically. And they say they're not voting for Joe Biden. And when you say, who are you going to vote for? They say, these are Democrats who would never vote for Trump. They say, I'm not going to vote, uh, or I'll vote for Bobby Kennedy, or I'll vote for Joel Stein. That makes, that is really bad news for the democratic party and the hopes of Joe Biden to hold on to the white house. Uh, that you know the old saw is that they're angry now but those voters when they see the stakes of uh you know it when 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 they face the possibility that Trump could get elected they'll come home and vote for Joe Biden. Bob Nay doesn't agree with that and I I must say I'm starting to be convinced myself that uh, that a lot of these young voters are not going to come back to Joe Biden over this Israel Palestine issue. So um We have a new Apple product, the Apple Vision Pro. I'm not putting it on my face, ladies and gentlemen. Love to take your uh, calls about that, 244 it, it It just seems to me I don't need another product in my life that is going to isolate me from the people and the community around me. And when you put one of these things on your face, as I did actually at a museum recently, uh, they are interesting, uh, but they bring you into a completely different reality. And the question is, Kevin Roos, the tech columnist for The New York Times, wrote this week, the question is, who's going to wear it? Uh, I mean, the first question is, who's going to buy it? Who's going to plunk down thirty-five hundred dollars? That's obviously a luxury item, and then add on the the sort of uh, sort of accessories that you need. That's going to drive the price up to forty-six hundred dollars. Uh, and then, you know, Kevin Roos writes that he thinks that the the people are going to use it are gamers. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a, a sort of a fun luxury item. Certainly not going to be the ubiquitous item like your like your cell phone um, so i I'm, I'm just not sure i'm not going to buy it uh i don't i got much better places to spend my money and i don't know uh who's going to put this on their head all i know is that it i don't need another device to isolate me from the rest of the world. Uh, Let's take a call. We've got Mary from Randolph Center. Uh, Always great to hear from you, Mary. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Kevin. Good morning. Yeah, a couple things. I was thinking this morning, I was reading a blog by uh, Katie Corrick, and in there she was outlining some things about Trump, and I think it said there, 91 felony charges pending. And I'm thinking, wow, Um, would my friends hang out with me if I had 91 felony charges against me? um i i don't think so um you know i don't know if folks know but we can't even be a school teacher we can't even work in a school to be uh with a felony charge or with a felony conviction he has not been convicted but there are so many things that you cannot do um if you are a convicted felon but uh you can become president which is startling uh to me uh, And just one other thing, the other day you had the uh, incredible conversation with the woman about um, Hamas and Palestine and and the Jewish uh, uh, issues that are happening, and I just finished a book. Um, It's called Sarah's Key, and it's it's a historical fiction, but it takes place during the roundup of the Jewish families in Paris in 1942. It happened in July of 1942. And there were 6,000 Jews um, rounded up in Paris. Uh, You know, the police officers, Parisian, um, French police officers came and rounded up 6,000 people. I think around 3,000 were children. So um, it's interesting that people don't know these things. And as she said, your guest, It's not taught in the schools, and it needs to be talked about because, as you say, um, if we don't pay attention to history, it will repeat itself.
0: Yeah, Mary, I wonder, stay on the line if you would, and let's follow that thread on Trump a little bit. I'm fascinated by it because you're right, 91 felony charges, and, and I've said this before, in 1988, when I was a young reporter in Washington, Joe Biden was running for president and he plagiarized a couple of lines from his speech mm-hmm. and, and he, when it was discovered he was out of the race in a, in a New York minute. And I guess my question is what, what do you think has changed that the bar is now so low or high, depending on your perspective, uh, that Biden would get drummed out of the presidential race in a few minutes for plagiarizing a couple of lines that he probably didn't even know about. I bet it was his speech writer. And, and, Trump seems to get stronger, at least with his own base of 100 million or so supporters. How do, what do you make of that?
1: I don't know. Is it an ethical and moral dilemma that people don't understand? Um, have we gotten that far off the line of of what's right um, and what makes sense and what's logical? I, I don't know. I ask myself the question all the time. Um, and that's why it struck me this morning, and I thought, you know, would would people understand if I had 91 felony charges and fel or felony counts, different thing, against me? I, I don't know what people are thinking, and I don't know why they can brush it off. I don't understand it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's uh, my new line is it's only going to get crazier as we move yeah. on in this political season. So, well, Mary, yeah. thanks, as always, for the call. Thanks. Mary uh, is uh, one of our most loyal and dedicated listeners, and it's always good to hear from her. Uh, let's go to Catherine in Town. Catherine, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I was telling Lee that he could be glad. He, want, I wanted him to tell you this, but he said, you tell him that. You can be glad you're not working the polls. How come? How come? Because the election's going to be crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Now, here in Vermont, we're pretty doggone straightforward. Uh, uh, every place is up. No, and I enjoyed it, every minute of it. But you got to be rugged.
0: C- Catherine, uh, as I recall, we've never met, but I think you're a, a farmer.
2: And. I am
0: and uh, you you've been around a while uh what what do you make of this this craziness of our elections uh
2: oh, my you know now you life.
0: you oh, can't no even say thing. anything I'm glad any... I'm
2: the H-I-M.
0: yeah well what do you make of it what, you know back in 1965 at the polls uh, work, political workers weren't getting threatened uh what do you make of this change how did it happen
2: I really don't know. I think the fabric of our families. I think that's really where it started, because when we grew up, there was respect. And it was respect for everything. Teachers, you didn't talk back. No. No, And then I also think it's faith, religion. There's no such thing anymore. So when you yeah, take that that's yeah. the fabric of our families and our life and our community. I loved your article about the store and the, and trying to buy it, the community trying to buy it, because that is surely going to be a lost art if we don't do that. And there's room for
0: it. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I, I, no, that's right. I mean, I, my kids grew up going to a store in Stratford where they would walk home from school pick up the landline, which was installed there at the cash register, call Uh, us at home and tell us they were walking home, uh, grab an ice cream sandwich, put it on the tab, and they'd be home in 10 minutes. And if they didn't get home, uh, you'd get a call from the owner of the store.
2: Yes, yeah. And you know what? It wasn't scary to walk home. Yeah. You didn't think twice about it. But today, you well, don't dare to let your kids out of your sight.
0: Yeah, and
2: they may call that helicopter parents. But I wouldn't let my kids stand out front here and wait for the bus. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's too bad, but it's the way it is. And but we'll come to our senses. We always have.
0: Well, well, well. As long and as you keep where calling in, comes I in, think
2: Kevin, that's where faith comes in.
0: If, if, if you keep calling in, we'll uh, we'll be coming to our senses. Catherine, uh, thank you as always for calling. And lastly, I think we have Rusty from Elmore on the line. Rusty,
3: welcome to the show. Kevin, how in the heck you doing, old fella?
0: Pretty good. How about you? Yep. I see you on Instagram. You got short hair.
3: I did, I do. You know what the heck? I had a couple. Friends up, and we get the old shears out, and said, "Let's let's give a. It's not the summer cut; it's the winter cut. You, 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 quick in and out of the shower, in other words. <laughs> hey, uh, I got a professional question for you because you're the professional, and uh, something I. It's kind of like my little line of business that I take real seriously. And you said something, and you know me, uh, agnostically political, non political, Trump, Biden, Haley, whoever, whomever, Phil Scott, yeah. whoever.
0: David yeah. Beckerman,
3: all good. Come on over to my house anytime. But you said about the plagiarism with uh, Biden way back, and you said and he probably didn't know about those plagiarism lines. And I unders—I kind of understand why you would say that, but being you're the professional, I'm asking you how – because I always just think – I do a two-hour show full of words, and I, got, I take responsibility for every one of them, and you do a two-hour show. Is it how unreasonable, and I don't like this if it is reasonable, how unreasonable is it for us to believe that when those men and women and otherwise are talking to us, they know what they're saying? They know where those words came from. They know why they're saying them, which is to get us to vote for them. How unreasonable is it to hold them to that, that a Biden or a uh, Melania Trump? realize that those words that they're saying have been lifted anyway go from there and uh always listening see you
0: hey thanks a lot rusty got great question you know this has been a, a issue of mine recently because uh it goes also to the the big books on the new york times bestseller list that are you know you know like prince harry's book uh or well a lot of the books that are coming out now by big names. Those those books are ghostwritten. You know, Prince Harry did not sit down at a word at a typewriter and write that book. He he talked to a ghostwriter who interviewed him and then went away and wrote the book. And these politicians now all have speechwriters. Um, and to, I think it is reasonable to hold them to a standard uh, that I, I think we should hold them to that standard. And if they're plagiarizing stuff. They ought to be held accountable for it. Uh, But every senator has a speechwriter, just so everybody knows. Uh, The president has an entire office of speechwriters, about 10 of them. And so, you know, the president doesn't write anything. Now, Obama was an exception. Obama liked liked to write his own stuff. Uh, So he worked with a speechwriter and they went back and forth. Um, uh, I got to say, Big exception, Bernie Sanders. I've never seen anything like it. The guy, uh, he doesn't need a speechwriter. He just goes out and does it, and it's kind of amazing. Uh, he does have people who help him, but but he's basically out there on his own. Okay, that's our week in review of the week's news. we got to go. Um, that's our show for today. Thanks so much to our guests, Joanna Grossman, Bob Nay, Chris Barnes, with all your callers. Mary, Catherine, Rusty, and I'm missing, I think, Chris, Uh, you know, just great to have you all. Be sure to follow these folks online. I know Rusty Deweese has got a show probably coming up. Read and buy their stuff. Patronize them so they'll be around in the future when we need them. Remember to join me Wednesday of next week for more guests and more subjects. I think I've nailed uh, former Republican political consultant Stuart Stevens from Stowe uh to come on the show next week and update us on the presidential campaign. Hit me up on Twitter or uh email me at VTviewpoint at radiovermont.com. I'm always interested in your comments. I respond to every email that I get. Our goal is always to illuminate and inform and of course have some fun along the way. Remember, you can stream the show live or listen later as a podcast at WDEBradio.com anytime, anywhere. You can always find me at com. i got to update that website a little bit, uh, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter and podcast called Conflict of Interest. If you got a general store in your town, please go. If you live in Stratford, check out Noah Kahn's new, uh, al- uh, his stick season album, and check him out at the Grammys, and go into Coburn's and buy an ice cream sandwich and tell him Kevin Ellis sent you. Our show's produced by me, engineered, made possible by Danny McGivrigan, Lee Cattell, Greg Titus, Lee C- and today, thank you to Lee Cattell for taking me through. Thanks also to the team at KWMR Community Radio in Point Reyes Station, California, where I am, but not for long. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here Friday for more discussion of politics and culture in Vermont and beyond, wherever you are, right here on Vermont Viewpoint, live radio on WDEV. But it's the season of the sticks, and I saw your mom. She forgot that I existed, and it's half my fault. But I just like to play the victim. I'll drink alcohol till my friends come home for Christmas, and I'll dream each night of some.